Mac Power Users, Episode 65, Workflows with Horace Dejou. Horace, did I, did I say your last name right? Uh, yes, it was close enough. It's dead you. Uh, dead you. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I be first became aware of you, I don't know, it was two or three years ago when you announced that BlackBerry was doomed. And, <laughs> um, and I said, man, who's... Seems to be pretty spot on. Well, who is this crazy guy saying that BlackBerry's doomed? Everybody I knew was carrying a BlackBerry around with them. I don't know how long ago was it you made that, you know... Well, I don't, I don't, I can't really recall either, but I, I have been on, uh, on my own sort of blogging since about, uh, early 2010. So it would have been, you know, probably less than two years ago. Um, but I, I've been writing, um, I, so I wrote, I've, I've been writing my blog, like I said, but I had also before then I had been at Nokia for eight years and I had written inside the company. So my experience in blogging was sort of, I, I really started as a, as an internal, uh, analyst and writer inside of a company. And then I, when I left, you know, I, I took a year off, but then I went back to writing and, and that's when I started a Simcoe in 2010. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had left in 2009 and it was, it was, a um, it was a decision made not because of, uh, you, you know, I, I just wanted to do something else and something different. I didn't expect to be doing what I'm doing now. In fact, I first went off to do some startup in, uh, uh, in a completely different industry in, in green technology. Um, and I, you know, I was helping out folks there. And then, you know, I thought, you know, I was getting some people calling me and say, why don't you keep writing some of the people from Nokia? Why don't you keep writing what you were doing before? Uh, and I started it sort of as a, as a, as a hobby and, um, it just took off after that. Yeah. Well, so just to back up a little bit, Horace is Harvard educated MBA, um, engineering degree from Tufts, you know, just, uniquely qualified to talk about the mobile industry with your experience at Nokia and your background. And this website you have, a Simcoe, is the only reason I sound half intelligent. I talk to anyone about the mobile space because your analysis, I think, is just spot on so often. Thank you. And, uh, uh, and then we also get to hear you, I think, on a weekly basis with Dan Benjamin uh, on one of our sister shows on 5x5 Five Five, where you do the critical path. And you kind of talk about some of the subjects that you blog about as well. So how did that all transition? It, yeah, everything that's happened to me in the last two years as far as, you know, the the, the spinoffs or the the consequences of, of writing – uh, have been entirely unsolicited. So what's happened, you know, I began writing and then other people began linking. Um, I kind of, uh, had a, had a sort of a, a policy of my own that was basically, I don't want, I didn't try to promote myself. I don't try to promote what, what I do. I wanted to see just how quickly the, the, uh, information would be disseminated through the usual, you know, a linking that happens in the internet. And, it was almost so, so it began as a hobby, and I said, "Well, this is interesting. Let me observe this 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 hobby. Let me observe the results as an experiment in a way. So I'm watching what's happening, and I sort of say, if I interfere with this, if I interfere by actually you know actively promoting it, I'm going to destroy my experiment. So so let me just watch it you know independently. So a lot of things began happening with perhaps even better than than had I been a promotional wizard. Um, so I. I 
I, I had my big break actually came through John Gruber, who who picked up and he he's he's brilliant at this. He just picks up talent off the internet and just basically links to that, and that li- leads to their their getting traffic and visibility. And and so that was my first big break, and then after that, of course, it sort of snowballed. Um, and one of the things was indeed this podcasting. And I'll be honest, and I may have said this already in in, in with, with Dan's show, but I had not actually ever listened to a podcast prior to the first one I actually did. Um, I had heard of podcasting. I certainly had watched um, um, bits and pieces of or listen to bits and pieces of podcasts, but I wasn't like an avid consumer of podcasting. I wasn't really watching uh, or subscribing to anyone uh, in particular. And in fact, I never really listened through a whole episode of anything. But anyway, what happened is I began it and I was naive. I was naive and, and, and I was you know just as naive about blogging when I began it. Um, and perhaps that was actually one of the good things is that I didn't have a preconceived notion of what I should be doing or the way I should be doing it. And I only spoke how I felt, you know, I should speak. Um, so there wasn't any uh, benchmark in my mind about what, what, what should be the content, how should it be presented. And um, apparently it's been uh, successful, you know, in the sense that there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more people listening uh, than reading uh, the site, which is, was a big surprise to me because, again, I didn't realize how popular it was and I didn't realize the job that it was being hired to do um, and to use my, my sort of this, this disruptive uh, philosophy is like, what is the job that you're being hired to do by your listener? And um, when you're reading a blog, it's like I wanted it to be a, you know, a lean forward experience, a very in, in sort of deep uh, contemplation. But uh, in terms of blog, uh, in terms of uh, uh, speaking and and um, talking uh, on a show, it's much more of a background, you know, relaxing thing. And I wanted you know more educational rather than uh, rather than analysis. So um, I'm learning a lot. Now, what first got you in into when? And maybe this is misperception on our parts because we're so focused in the Apple universe. But it, it seems like a lot of your posts now tend to strongly follow Apple and have a. Uh, and I don't want to say an Apple slant to them because I don't mean to imply any type of bias. Um, but certainly using Apple, I guess, as a lens. Yeah, that's how I. That's how I frame it. Um, right. I, what, what I'd like to think. What I like to think. It may not be reality, but I like to think that I'm. I'm actually. Trying to solve some difficult problems with the blog and, and my and my and my presentations in general, and some of these problems are like you know, how do you make a successful business? How how do you um, you know enter new markets? How do you create value? How do you how do you assess opportunities? These are core business problems, and the the, the thing is when you ask yourself, how would I possibly build a curriculum to to study this? Um, my you know, you can go through an academic process of sort of presenting the data and presenting the facts, presenting history. But I chose a, a different approach by taking what I, you know, what we would call a case study, which is Apple in my case, and and you know, use that what I call as a lens to look at all all of these business problems. And it's interesting because um, to me, Apple is a good example, a good case study where you can see both success and failure. You can see disruption. You can see all of these things I'm trying to talk about without the audience becoming bored and, and sort of glazing over because it's all theoretical, by putting it in the context of a company that everybody's excited about and everybody knows a lot about, 
And it also isn't abstract in the sense we could be talking about General Motors in the 1940s. It's out of living memory. It's out of people's expectations. So you'd have to reframe everything all the time. I wouldn't do that. With, I don't need to do that with Apple because it's there. It's in sort of in the headlines every day, especially to this audience who is mostly like either our users or or, or ec- ecosystem participants or fans of some kind. Um, and perhaps even, you know, uh, uh, um, opponents to it in some way but you know i hope there are plenty of those but it's it's like we need to have that for the debate but it's still everybody's conscious and aware of what's happening and i don't have to to redefine the world uh when i when i explain the phenomena nevertheless i don't want to be about apple i want to be about you know some of these general problems and as as the conversation progresses I, we we you know the audience becomes more familiar with the vocabulary i'm using and so on um, I think we can step back and look at some of the deeper problems, like how do we fix things like entertainment as an industry? How do we fix things like um, even even financial sector problems? We can look at other all kinds of other things outside of technology, even that uh, we can you, you know now that we've we've sort of taken the first steps down this road of understanding, we can apply the the, the lessons uh, further, going further. I've always wondered what's going on inside these big companies. I know there's people like you in them making this type of analysis, and I've always felt like we'd be out that'd be outside. You know, we wouldn't be able to see that stuff. And I I feel like your blog brings that to us, and I really appreciate it. And as an example, you know, the term disruption, you started talking about it, I think, on both your blog and on the critical path. And I've seen it lately in a lot of blogs, Mac-related blogs. You know, it's you have raised the level of the dialogue uh, for mm-hmm. everyone, and I, I appreciate that. Well, thanks. I, that really is gratifying. In, in fact, I hope that that, that 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 would happen. I think disruption, uh, as a theory, has been uh, targeted to and consumed by uh, uh, you know uh, people who are typically uh, listening to management consulting. Uh, uh, advice or reading business books or, you know, going through business schools. And uh, it has had a long, already a long exposure to that community for, you know, at least 10, 15 years. Uh, what, what, what I, what I've, what I've felt though, is that there is a sort of a, an absence of that in the technology or in particular the, you know, not just mobile, but let's put, you know, Apple in the center of that. Um, that the discussion is, you know, there are startups and people who claim to be disruptive, and but that's become a generic term. It's not really the theory of what's hap- what a disruption is. Um, it's not an ideal word, unfortunately. We should have sort of manufactured a new word because it has so many other connotations. But it is the cycle of business growth and, and decline that, that really we're studying here. And, um, you know, um, in another interview once, uh, I, I was... I was put this question and I sort of thought, you know, my, my, my audience and I think the folks that, that get so excited about it is, are those same people which, or, or I should say, I used to be like that 20 years ago. You know, I was an engineer. I was, had developed uh, a theory of the world, if you will, that was, you know, de- developed through my, my, my training, my, my education, my world experience, which was very much, you know, uh, a scientific view, if you will, um, that the world is is um, that there are laws of of nature, there are laws of of a very scientific uh, uh, 
uh, theories about how things work. However, my problem was that I was in the company at the time. It was it was called GTE, which became Verizon later. And I felt the company was struggling, and I, I wasn't. It wasn't clear to me why. You know, if there surely must be some reason as to why these things are, are successful or, or not. And so I was very naively thinking that surely there must be some some rule book out there or some theory on how businesses are successful and, or, or not. And that's one reason why I went to business school because I thought they would teach me this theory. Um, and so I, what I learned in business school is actually not the theory of learning uh, of, of business. What I learned is that there's no such theory. The absence of a theory is what you learn in business school. You understand finally that there's actually nothing governing success or failure. And so it's it's that really then reset my expectations. And so I said, okay, so it's empirical. We need to get a bit more, uh, you know, data to be able to understand patterns. And that's where... Clay Christensen, who was the, the the author of the disruption theory, he he had put forward some very you know crude building blocks that there is such a thing as a theory, and I was naturally drawn to it. And that actually was published after I left school. So it's it's kind of I think that he's advanced the the the, the state of understanding of of business success. Um, and um, and but what I'm seeing now is that the, the propagation of that theory has been fairly slow. So all I'm doing is in my blog and, and writing uh, and, and speaking is essentially bringing it to a new audience, an audience that normally would not be targeted by this theory or by the, by the work of, the, of, of a business school professor. Um, so w- w- that's all I'm doing is I'm just bringing it to an audience, which is an audience that I feel empathy with because I, have, I was mostly like them uh, you know, early in my career. So I can speak to them in their language and I can speak to them in their sort of what, what emotionally uh, is, is, is uh, resonant. All right, well, let's take a quick break and let's talk about our first sponsor, Text Expander from Smile. So, David, you know, I love me my Text Expander. It's a great app. Yeah. So, I can, I can use it for all kinds of different things. I use it for email signatures. I use it to fill in all kinds of boilerplate language. I use it to store little snippets like my email address, my phone number, my work address. So that when I've got to fill in all those annoying forms that you have to tab, 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 tab to go to the next form that you can just, you know, type a few keystrokes and those little things go in. I use it to fix all my typos because there's some words that I just can't spell like bellow and and below. That's interesting because you do have words that make you look like a moron because you cannot get them right no matter how hard you try. I cannot type the word below in an email. It's always bellow. And I never use the word bellow in regular sentence. So I've just set my text expander snippet to say every time I type the word bellow, you just need to change it to below. Yeah, fix that. Fix that all the time. And so I, you know, I look like a genius using text expander at home, which is great. But I kind of want to look like a genius at work too. And unfortunately, work makes me makes me use a PC. Somebody did a sucks. post this week. I think it was five twelve pixels that did it where he did a text expander snippet for a meeting. And I thought it was great. So it, it fills out, you know, who's in attendance, what the agenda is, what the action items are, what he's assigned to other people and what he's taken on for himself. So it creates essentially a template for a meeting. So you just open up your iPad, type in a little text expander snippet and wham, it gives you that whole outline. And then you just fill it in during the meeting. I thought that was a really smart thing. I'm, I'm going to look that up and put that in the show notes. That's a good idea. So all of these great features of Text Expander, you know, you're kind of limited because you can use them on your Mac, you can use them on your iPad, you can use them on your iPhone because they have the great Text Expander touch for the iOS. But what do you do when you get to your your work PC? You get Brevi. 
Yeah, there's oh, another app there's, that. Yeah, there's another there's app, an app that, for that. Yeah, it's, it's a I guess a friend of Smile. They built a, an app on the PC that's essentially like Text Expander. It reads the Text Expander library. So if you have it on Dropbox, you're synced up. Yeah, I'm so happy every day when I go into work, I get a little message on my Dropbox that says, you know, we, we've synced your Text Expander snippets with Brevi, and all of a sudden, I I no longer say, you know, dear Judge, please see below for the attached document you requested. Yes. That's embarrassing. Yeah. We love Smile. They were our first sponsor. Great people, and they make great software. You can get Text Expander for your Mac for $35 in the App Store. You can get Text Expander Touch for your iOS devices in the uh, apps, you know, the App Store for the iOS devices for five dollars, and it works both on the iPad and the phone, iPhone, the iPod Touch, and they use Dropbox to sync all your snippets right across, so it's it's painless. Right. So thank you, Smile, for supporting us. And by the way, David, you know we will be at the Smile Software booth at MacWorld on Saturday, the Saturday of MacWorld. We'll have more details about that later. Yeah, it looks like three p.m. Looks so, like 3 p.m. We'll, we'll let you know. Yeah, so if you're going to be at Macworld on Saturday, come visit us. All right. So thank you, Smile, for uh, your kind support of the show, and we will see you at Macworld. We're actually here to talk to you about your workflow, so I guess we should get on with that. And I also want to apologize to the listeners. There is a hellish windstorm going through Southern California as we record this, and I've got all the uh, shutters battened down and the windows closed, but I still hear it in my room. I'm sure it's going to come out a little bit in the recording. Um, but so let's talk about, you know, how do you get the work done at a Simco? You know, what are the tools you use and, and you know, what workflows do you use? Uh, thanks. Yeah, that's a good question because I've, you know, I've actually had to think about it um, as we, you know, I was, you invited me to this and I had to think about it a little bit. And uh, I, um, I don't know if I consciously put, put, put it together the way it has come out, but it is, uh, it is, it is a, um, and then when I step back and I looked at it, um, and I try to contrast to what it used to be when I was inside of a company, or, or perhaps how others may do it who are in in a professional setting, um, it is a little bit different. It is it is very much you know it takes this notion of dog fooding, which you may have heard and you know used by tech people that say you know dog fooding is basically using the software that you've already uh, that you're building, you're using it yourself. Um, and it comes out of Microsoft, you know, so the, 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 the testing of the product should be partly done by the developer, basically by using the product. So in a way, I, I took that to heart and said, well, if I'm going to talk about Apple, I want to use Apple's products. Um, I had already been a Mac user, but I, I, I wanted to go, uh, you know, 100% uh, Apple in that sense. So I wanted to have, if there was a tool that Apple provided, I would use it because I wanted to make sure that, that – um, uh, you know, I was I was being honest to to you know when I spoke about it. So I would use a an iPhone, and I would use a, a Mac, and I would use also uh, the the software from Apple. And and that means uh, for me mostly it's uh, it's Numbers um, that I use. And it was a happy accident because it, Numbers is so uh, is so uh, so rare or so uh, unpopular that. It's, it ends up having a, a visually interesting um, and unique, uh, you, you know, the, the, the results, you know, I use the charting in there. It, when, it, when it's published, people don't, don't, um, don't recognize it as a common uh, uh, 
chart charting style because most charts that are published coming from come from Excel and it looked very different from that and so a lot of the questions I get on Twitter and other places is what do you use to make these beautiful charts and my answer is numbers 1999 on the Mac App Store if I could get 10% for every time I say that uh you know it, I would get a lot um but it is actually not an ideal tool and I don't if someone were to ask me would you recommend to use that tool um I, w- I would probably not recommend, especially if you're already using Excel. The only b- reason is that it took me a long time to become good at it. So it's a huge amount of work. And it's still – and the reason for that is, again, is not because I, 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 had, I had experience on Excel, but there, there are many quirks with, with, with numbers. Uh, it isn't as easy to use, especially if you have a lot of data. Uh, it's slow. It no, no matter how fast your computer is, it seems to be extremely slow for large data sets. Um, it, um, it had quirks and it, they've improved, but it, the, now the improvements have slowed down. So there hasn't been an update in like two years. Um, they're, they're, so it's good for small things like, you know, an invoice, uh, uh, you know, menu, uh, a, a class schedule. It's not a really good analytical tool, but again, I stick with it because of the charting. The charting is superb and, um, and the the when I whenever I, I I do sometimes go back to Excel because I need to use things like uh, pivot tables or if I need to use things like transposing large data sets these are just not available in numbers so um, so I, I I stick with Excel uh, I mean I use Excel for like limited functions but most of my data resides in numbers and I put up with the with with the inconvenience and pain because again I'm trying to dog food things. Um, I do also use uh, the other Apple tools that you know, in case I need them, which is like Pages or or um, uh, 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 Keynote. Whenever I give presentations, I do them using Keynote. Um, I'm actually exp- right now experimenting with and building a, a, actually an app specifically for doing presentations because I want to do motion charts. I want to do. Um, in whenever I do a, a live presentation, I want to. I want to have this kind of like dynamic charting going on because what's the point in looking at something static uh, in front of a live audience so I want to make it into more of a um, an interactive thing and I've been using video to capture motion charts and I'm moving towards using an app to do the same thing but that's another story uh, for another day um, okay I'm, I'm, let me break right there because yeah. you covered a lot I want to kind of go back and hit a few um, yeah, I'd agree with you that numbers is not as as powerful as Excel. I'm fortunate because what I do, um, I don't need the superpower of Excel, and the look of numbers is so good. Like you, I use them for trial exhibits and mm. things where I'm making demonstrative. Uh, but one thing I thought about that would be a really good fit for you, have you ever looked into that OmniGraph Sketcher app? I have used the OmniGraphle. Um, no, no, not OmniGraphle. There's one called oh. OmniGraph. They make one called OmniGraph Sketcher, and it's yeah. it's just for graphing, and it allows you to add emphasis points, and it does some things that are really nice. I use it a lot for uh, demonstrative graphing. You should check that I, I, out. Well, I'll take a I'll take a look. Uh, I do get a lot of sort of. Um, uh, suggestions for for charting. Mostly, the problem has been that these motion charts I've been begun using are flash right now. That's uh, it, it, there. I that's another piece of the workflow. I'm trying to take my data, which is right now, as I said, in numbers. I'm trying. My goal, my ambition, is to put it all online and to have it basically be 
accessible to people uh, and, and sort of collaborative. So we can actually go in and say, well, how did you get that number? Right now I put it up as a chart because it actually is easier to represent. And I think to put up a boring table was, you know, is not, is not uh, going to, you know, lead to enlightenment. Um, but at the same time, there's value in the data. Some people, maybe 1%, are actually very interested in the data. So my dream is to put that all up up, up somehow. But it, it's it's hard. I don't want to put it up as Excel because, um, firstly, it, it you know I think Excel has multiple versions. There's all kinds of issues with with formatting and and so on. Um, so I'm thinking about you know just putting it up as Google Docs. So I've begun doing that, and Google Docs then lets you do th- its own charting. So I've taken the charts and created these motion charts. It's a long story behind motion charts that that goes back to innovations coming out of uh, um, Sweden and a statistician named Hans Rosling who developed this particular bubble-oriented diagramming technique, um, sold it to Google. Google then packages it into uh, Google Docs, but it's not a particularly easy-to-use thing. And um, anyway, a lot of people said, hey – that's in Flash now. Can you do something about that? Because I can't use it on a on an iPad, which is a big tragedy. Um, and so I'm looking for alternatives. Some people are throwing at me all these all these options, but none of them have really been optional op, uh, optimal. The one th- problem is that um, that they they are you know requiring a lot of coding by hand. Sometimes they require me to change my workflow so that I'd have to go through multiple steps to get the chart done. Um, so um, I'm 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 conscious of being efficient because uh I don't want to spend too much time getting the stuff out, you know, to 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 get it perfectly uh um, you know it's hard to put it in 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 a in context, but I like to spend my time thinking about the problem, solving the problem or putting forward a hypothesis, dealing with the comments, dealing with the feedback. And not so much in 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 tweaking the design and making sure it's perfect because I try to write every day. I'd like to do more than that, but I you know that's pretty much the limit right now. Um, and so there's so many limits, and and uh, I'm uh, I'm conscious of the fact it's not perfect, but I um, I I think whatever I'm going to use needs to plug into this workflow as it is right now. Now, how do you take the the actual charts that you're using and then pull them out onto your blog? Are you just exporting them as 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 images and is just putting them up there as static things right now? I mean, when yeah, you're just it's, putting it's, the images. It's just images because actually it's just a screenshot. Right. Um, literally, I I you know I use a a, sh- a keyboard shortcut to sort of you know uh, highlight the, the the piece of screen that I want to post, and uh, but then it, you you have to. Well, I've learned a lot about trying to make good charts and um th- there's so many things that can go wrong you know your eye isn't always able to see the error you you may may, may have a misspelling in the title you may have a misspelling in the in in one of the axis headings you might you may have the you may be missing the units you may be putting the the wrong colors together and you will hear about it i mean the audience is very demanding and um, and w- because this, it's so easy to to export, you know, it's literally a, a keystroke away. If I get an, a comment saying you've made a, a mistake here, sometimes it's a tweet, and I'm able to turn that around and fix it within the first five minutes after the posting because somebody will notice right away. And that that is something that's critical, again, to my workflow. If I had to go through five steps to get the perfect chart out, 
um, you know, I would be very reluctant to make quick quick fixes. Uh, so the whole thing is actually optimized for uh, quick cycle time and uh, minimal effort to get the 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 you know the result out. I'd, you know, for example, one thing that a hassle that's a hassle is I actually have to upload the the um, the bitmap once it's captured, and I have to use the word. A WordPress tool, you know, and that, to me, it's actually slow. They have to click and pick a file, and then let, get it uploaded. Pick the size, pick all these things, and then well, I'd rather have click and drag. You know, that that's the natural way of doing things. And increasingly, by the way, the cool thing is that if I do have an image, I'm actually able to now quickly put it in Twitter, and I, I write a tweet, then I drag the image straight into Twitter um, on Twitter on the Mac. So I, you know, I can actually uh, publish uh, seconds after I have a breakthrough or some new new chart that I just came up with, and so my my cycle time to actually get material out is down to to minutes, um, and and I can then wait a day or two until I finally get the creativity and all the pieces together to write a nice blog post. But if there's a Twitter follower and there are enough of them now, um, they're getting the best. Experience, as far as I'm concerned, is about you know they're getting it most most quickly through through Twitter. They're getting feedback from me. They can get questions answered. So to me, Twitter is like almost disrupting the um, the blogging phenomenon because uh, I have a great great relationship with Twitter followers, and I think they get the information more quickly. So, um, but I'm not abandoning blogging. Blogging is where the sort of the the formalized uh, uh, analysis takes place. The the more more nuanced detail comes in, um, and just like you can imagine, there's a hierarchy of of you know uh, rigor, and you know the blogging is considered actually not very rigorous compared to say a printed journal uh, type of paper uh, or 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 a book even. But all of it is cycle time. The Twitter is microblogging. Things that get done in minutes. Blogs get done in hours. Papers get done in months. Books get done in years. So you know, there's there's there, if there's a progression of of quality, but there's also progression of speed, and more and more importantly, speed matters. Oh, anybody's yeah. listening? What is your Twitter name? Um, it's just a why well, Asimco is my uh, my my blogging handle as well. Yeah. Asimco. Now you were saying that you need to resize and do some other adjustments as you upload them. Have you ever considered any of the automation tools like automator where you can automatically do that formatting? Yeah. I've, I've used automator once or twice, but not for that purpose. It's not, it's to be honest that this is a very minor complaint. I mean, literally mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it just takes a couple extra mouse clicks, but I'm just saying that I'm so impatient sometimes about, about, uh, Things like that, and and you, you get used to it, but that's only because you become tolerant. I don't think one should ever get used to it. One should be always demanding faster experiences and and smoother user experiences, user interfaces. Um, so so it's just a matter for me, just kind of kind of having to become used to it. Um, uh, but uh, but you know, I think the blogging publishing systems we have are phenomenal. I mean, the idea of being able to write something and have it online in, 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 in minutes is, uh, is phenomenal, but, um, uh, but I still think we can, we can aim higher. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, Twitter is an example of that, the Twitter client and, you know, it's li- literally seconds, uh, per, per, per post, which is fantastic. 
Yeah, I guess kind of like David, I was I was maybe envisioning something where it would automatically resize and then FTP up. And then if there was replacing an image, you know, if you were making a correction, it would automatically replace or something. But th- those are often uh, easier, easier talked about than than actually. To yeah, create. you know, in, in, pr- in practice, <laughs> in you know, practice, yeah. in practice, you realize that there's not. This isn't a this isn't a, a, a silver bullet types thing, and uh, you know the the thing is where it felt a little bit like a regression because I began blogging using actually uh, iWeb, uh, which mm-hmm. is again an Apple tool. But it was this was before Asimco was launched, and I was I had a blog inside of WordPress, um, and uh, I moved I moved actually even before that I had it in on on uh, in in you know mobile me or whatever it was called before then and so on but the thing was it was easy you know i i writing in i um iweb was a lot easier than actually working through wordpress um so the native client is always the easiest way but wordpress is is much more powerful and so uh, you want you know you get you compromise when you move to the next level um but you know that's one of the things you miss is like drag and drop photos uh, or, or or images, and uh, and certainly uh, there are limits to what WordPress. I mean, don't get me started about the problems with scripting, and I can't really f- m- do much about the design. I get a lot of people complaining that they don't they don't uh, um, they, they cannot see the comments because they become too deeply stacked and and I'm this is another thing that, that irritates me is that their their commenting systems like discus and uh and um intense debate and uh, I've used both and I've even used uh, no no commenting system at all and so far they've been all frustrating um there's no good way of uh, you know I have 24,000 comments in my site you know accumulated over a period of about a year and a half um, I think there are some, the, the assumption behind these systems is that you know no one's going to have more than 500 comments because there's no search mechanism. Um, there's you know no tolerance for like I said for really long discussions which get a lot of nesting going. Uh, there's there's problems with uh, uh, the speed of rendering sometimes on devices and and you know when you have lots of comments and so I, you know they're getting better but it's 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 been a frustrating thing for me about the comments because for me comments are as important as the material itself um, and I read all the comments that come online I, I spend much more time through the comments going through the comments than I do actually writing the post um, and. Uh, you know, I, not just writing new comments, but reading them and sort of understanding and sometimes, uh, you know, hope, cleaning them up. Although cleaning has not been an issue. I've, I've had to delete only a dozen or, or two dozen at most uh, out of 24,000. So it's been a very uh, pretty well-behaved uh, system. But um, but anyway, this is a long story about comments. But I, I, uh, I think as far as if we were to go back and think about the tools I use, you know, we talked about numbers. Um, I also, uh, you know, what I what I value the Mac for is the uh, the ability to do, uh, you know, certainly uh, taking a huge number. I have, by the way, my system is a 27 inch iMac with a 30 inch second display, so I have about as much real estate as you can possibly fit on a desk. Um, That's a lot of pixels. Yeah. So um, what I appreciate is the fact that I'm dealing with multiple, um, you know, uh, there's email, there's, there's browser, there's, there's uh, a giant spreadsheet open. Usually the 30 inch is one spreadsheet open. 
Um, and I use this, the 27-inch the, the with, with the material that I'm actually sourcing or writing into. So, um, so the, the ability to sort of do this smoothly is, is what I value. Um, yeah, I think the Mac, I've used Windows for many years, and obviously uh, up until I, you know, when, I, when I was at Nokia, it was always on Windows. And my, the, the company issued me a 15-inch laptop. And, uh, you know, that was standard. Maybe it was even less than 15 inch. It was, um, Lenovo, what is now Lenovo, but it was an IBM when I was there. Um, and somehow I lived with that for eight years. Um, and companies still, I think, assume their, com- their employees can live on a 15 inch screen. But when you're on your own, you can actually really expand to much, much larger, uh, uh, screens and, and, uh, uh, the ability to do all the all this task switching, the the new gestures in Lion are very helpful because I'm constantly switch switching. Like even I need a calculator sometimes, um, or I need a widget, um, and and that's all there. You know, really. I, I another weird thing is I actually I have both a Magic Mouse or whatever the latest one is called, the um, the scrolling uh, touch mouse, but I also have a um, the the external tablet um oh, sorry not what is it the magic trackpad the trackpad yes okay. trackpad and mouse and full keyboard i need a full keyboard because i need the number keypad i've i've i have two wireless keyboards because that that they came with the system or i've bought them and played with them but i can't use them really in 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 my work because i need the keypad and they don't make a wireless uh uh keyboard with keypad uh, the other thing that annoys me is though is that my mouse batteries seem to run down like every three days. Um, uh, even uh, they're rechargeable, so maybe they're not as strong as good batteries are. But but um, but I use these things intensively, and uh, the reason I have the the Magic Trackpad is for the gestures because sometimes I want to do quickly, uh, uh, you know, s- sweep everything aside and and go into one one view or another. Um, but that that's that's all possible only on the desktop. Again, here's another weird thing: is that I do have also a laptop. I have a uh, 17 inch, actually, um, fairly recent MacBook uh, Pro, and I use that when I travel. Um, and the 17 inch has enough resolution of that what used to be on a 24 inch desktop screen, but it much smaller pixels, obviously. Uh, so there's plenty of plenty of pixels on my on my on my laptop but i find it really only useful for very limited things um and so my you know i talk about all the time on my blog about the future of computing being mobile the future of computing being being tablet um but even i you know the type of things i do are definitely depending on large screens and uh i'm just conscious that what i do is not a common thing um but it's just that you know, for me, it's 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 really all about the screen real estate. The power of the machine is absolutely critical. Again, if you're going to do intensive work quickly, um, and I do use a laptop, but when I travel, I, I'm able to, for example, fix spreadsheets, ed, edit things, uh, uh, you know, uh, that I need to edit. But I wouldn't want to work on that on that computer for my day to day analysis. It's just not enough uh, screen space for that. Jobs analogy: You're a truck driver. I am definitely like not just a truck driver. I'm one of those guys with a you know the 18 wheeler with a trailer and all that. So yeah, it's it's definitely. Uh, I just realized that I'm a dinosaur because that's not 
something that uh, most people need. In fact, I would say very, very few people would, would really need this type of uh, setup. And uh, um, I'm also a user of the of, the, of an iPad. Uh, in fact, I love the iPad, but, but I use it for different things. So I use it to to uh, you know check email, check browsing, read. Um, mostly, I use it in bed or you know couch. Um, so yeah, you know that's that's just my use case. Let's talk about our next sponsor, One Password. And you know, David, I had a bad occasion to use One Password this this week. Um, my grandfather unfortunately lost his entire wallet. You know, his credit cards, his driver's license, all of his insurance information. I mean, you know what men carry around in their and women too. You know what people carry around in their wallets. You know, it's. It's everything. It's all of this stuff that you need with your life. And now you've got, you know, three or four different credit card companies to call and you've got to cancel all this stuff and you're freaking out because, I mean, maybe you had some money in there that's gone down too and everything's got to be reordered. Everything's got to be canceled. And and how are you going to figure out how to call all these people? Is there somebody you're going to miss? If you miss them, are they going to start running up, you know, fraudulent charges on all your cards? What are you going to do? So what happened? There was... Well, what happened is thankfully that, you know, we had this whole little conversation about using one password that you're supposed to have with your family. You're supposed to do it at Thanksgiving, but if you didn't do it at Thanksgiving, I guess you can do it at, at Christmas. But one password has a digital wallet feature where you can input information in one password about all of the items that are in your wallet, um, your Inclu- credit card, in, your yeah, including the phone number to call if it gets lost. Absolutely. The customer service numbers, the phone numbers, any information that you need to contact them. You can do this for your credit cards. You can do this for your insurance cards. You can have all of this contact information. So tell you what you need to do. Um, If you're sitting at your Mac while you're listening to this podcast or when you get home later today, you need to take your wallet out at your desk, list, lay everything out on your desk and then open up one password on your Mac. If you don't have it, you can go buy it. We'll tell you how to do that and input all of that information into their super secure database so that if something bad does happen, if you lose just say a credit card or you know, if you lose the whole wallet, you're going to have all of that information and all of the contact information is going to be in one password so that you can get that all taken care of. All you got to do is go to your computer, open up one password, just sit down at the phone and start making your phone calls. Yeah. It, it made a very hectic event a lot easier. So your grandpa? Uh, no, he ha- called me. But you had put the phone yeah. numbers in. Yes, he called me and he said, "You remember that time that you told me we had to put this stuff in the computer? I need that." Great, great. So you were able yeah. to just make the phone calls. Didn't have yes. to go chase down statements, anything. So you could be like out nope. somewhere and lose your wallet and realize it's lost mm-hmm. and just right. pull out your iPhone. Open up one password, get the phone numbers, dial them right up, and say, "Hey, my card's lost." Yeah, and even if you do it from your iPhone, all you got to do is a little touch, the little button, and it will automatically dial. Yeah, great. So you can get uh, one password in the Mac App Store for fifty dollars. Uh, that gives you essentially a family license because if you've got multiple people on your iTunes shared account, you can download it there. Uh, for your iPad and iPhone, you can get a hybrid version that goes on both for fifteen dollars. Or you can get it just for a single device for $10, and it's a must-buy. I, I just feel really strongly about 1Password that you know, if you're not using something really secure to protect your passwords, you're begging for trouble. And uh, it's just a great app. The developers are on it, and they just keep making it better. So go check it out. Okay, so we can maybe spend a moment, if you don't mind, on presentations. I think this is actually becoming becoming Absolutely. a crucial it's a crucial part of what I'm going to be doing in the next year. Um, 
you know, I started with blogging, then I went into uh, podcasting. And one of the things that, you know, fell out of that is that I've been invited to speak at events. And um, I've done a few this year. And um, I've learned from each one of them how to become a better presenter. And um, and as a picture has emerged in my mind of what's the ideal presentation and what I think is ideal for my material, in other words. Um, and my idea is that I'm going to do a presentation where the audience is entertained um, and they're glad they came. My objective is to keep them, you know, to have them think, boy, I'm, you know, this was really good. I, therefore, I don't want to present to them material that they could consume in using the existing uh, non-live non event. Uh, you know, in other words, it's not going to be slides and it's not going to be something you can watch on YouTube. It's going to be actually intensely interactive, intensely engaging. And that means, in my mind, that means presenting from an iPad and the material may actually be different every time it's presented. And it's going to be wirelessly presented. I'm going to have an iPad that I'm going to use with a, with a custom-built app that will you know, do screen sharing to, um, to an Apple TV that's connected to the projector. So I'm not going to use a wire. Uh, this, is, this is my intention. Um, I'm going to walk around with the iPad. I want to walk around in the audience. I want to walk and engage people with what I'm doing. And, um, and, and the, the material that's going to be on the iPad will be almost like a game. It will be shown on, on a big screen, but you'll see me interacting with it at the same time. I first tried this out with an iPhone. It wasn't purely wireless. It was, I still had to plug it in, but I did presentations to 750 people from an iPhone. Um, and everything that was presented was was essentially was was an animation. It wasn't slides, and um, it, it worked out very well. People really sit up and notice. And um, and so my thinking now is, how can I get the material that I start out with with numbers, do a do a sort of a, a an export to the web, then do an export to uh, something that's shared as data, which is Google Docs, then be able to actually package it in an app that I can use to present and potentially even have that app be downloadable by users through the App Store. So that would be finally sort of the the, the logical progression of the material that I create um, and, and curate and other people help me with it through their comments and finally get this sort of body of information that I can carry with me everywhere. And only the iPad can deliver that. Only an iPad can, can deliver wirelessly and can allow me to do this sort of interactive presentation. Um, I, it's a little bit vague right now because I, I haven't yet built all the pieces, but I'm just giving you a hint that the technology, and particularly the Apple technology that is available today, really allows someone to change the way uh, the very job to be done of 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 a, of a presentation that it isn't a sales pitch it isn't just a boring lecture it's going to be something completely new that we hadn't even thought of and it's actually going to do away with PowerPoint and Keynote altogether I think those tools are are are, be, are should be obsoleted by now we should move to a next generation of presentations and engagement uh, with an audience. Uh, keeping in mind, by the way, that before PowerPoint, people gave speeches. There were maybe cellophane slides. I'm old enough to remember that. Um, slides comes from the fact there was a slide projector, right, with film. Um, and think about how presentations evolved once we did have PowerPoint. And people said, okay, my speech is always going to be accompanied by these, these types of uh, visuals. 
And so speaking changed to be more like, you know, let me read my slides back to you. But I think we can go forward from there. I think it's time to move on. And the whole idea is how do you architect a presentation that is not a speech, that is not a PowerPoint, it's something else altogether. And the technology that lets you do that is the iPad. I really believe that. Wow. This is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you have something that's up and working at this point? Are you working I with the developer towards this? Or? Yeah. I ha- I have a uh, we have an app. I've actually beta tested it in one presentation so far. Um, it is something that is evolving. In fact, the spec is something that every time I, I do a presentation, I go back to the developer and say, this is what I've learned. This is what we need to do to make, the, make it better. It began as simply a way to present motion charts so that there isn't any way to do uh, a very rich interactive. So what, what I mean by motion charts is this. You have a chart. Maybe it's a bar chart, maybe it's a line chart, or maybe it's a bubble chart. And it has an x-axis, a y-axis, and perhaps you can set the colors or you can pick different ways of, of, of showing the data. But I want to be able to stand in front of an audience and, and actually use touch the screen and select different um, different values for x and y, different values for color. And they would see what I'm doing. They would actually see me doing that. It wouldn't be like, well, here's the, uh, here's the result. It was like I would talk to them and say, the story is this. We're going to talk about the emerging markets. So let me show you exactly what happened to the emerging markets in the last 10 years. So if you see in this chart here, I'm going to pick, and they'll see me doing this. I'll pick this for the x-axis. I'll pick this for the y-axis and hit play button. And look what happened. It's like you, you can use a metaphor. You can say this is a geyser of opportunity. This is, a, this is you know, an avalanche or whatever else you want, to, you want to use to talk through that story. But they're going to be seeing it live, like almost like a movie happening. And... Only by showing your your actions, they're seeing you doing those actions. It doesn't look fake. It doesn't look like, you know, you've canned the whole thing. And then I want to say, you know, bring the audience in. Those are, where are you from? You know, ask somebody in the audience. Like a good magician does or a good performer. You would engage the audience or, or a stand-up comic. If you look at how they do it, um, bring someone from the audience and ask them, well, what do you think? Well, how would you what in your life has changed with mobility? And I would put that data, you know, I'd be able to pull data that would be relevant to that person or that audience. And it's not that the the presentation is a bunch of, you know, 15 to 20 slides. It would literally be 500 slides, but I would pick only the five or 10 that were relevant to that moment in time that would tell that story perfectly. And how to be able to do that, that's really the trick I think we're trying to f- solve right now with this app um, and ultimately, by the way, the good thing is that if the app is built well enough, then we can actually put it out there and let people download it and, and use it themselves. I'd love to see that happen so that everybody then goes around and said, builds their own data sets and presents the same way I do. That would be ideal, that we can sort of move the ball forward and with respect to live presentation. That's the dream I have for next year. You know, I, I'm like you. I started using PowerPoint before there was Keynote and then subsequently Keynote. But I remember when I'd go into a room and give a, key, a Keynote or a PowerPoint, and people didn't even know what it was. And then we went through the phase where now you bring in and everybody groans because so many people don't understand how to use these tools. And yeah. I've started doing the same thing using an iPad with an Apple TV giving presentations and mm, the, libera- the liberation from the court is, is amazing and being able to walk around. I'm not exactly sure about some things. I wish that the, you know, the presenter tools were a little stronger. You know, using a Mac, they, they definitely are. Um, I like the ability to have a clicker in my hand 
uh, with a Mac where you can advance slides without having to look at anything or swipe or distracting the audience with what you're doing with your device. But Well, it depends. Again, you're trying to tell a story a certain way. I'm trying to tell a story a different way, perhaps. And that's that's where the tool ought to have both, you know, let, let's let's make it simple, click, 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 or we want to have, you know, let's engage and let's 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 do a little magic show here. Um, you know, I, I use that term loosely, but I'm, I'm I'm saying that there's a lot we can learn. We professional people who have you know domain knowledge or experience, we can learn a lot from from the way the the professional entertainers have capture imaginations right you know even the people who are in the you know performing arts people who are in 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 you know they've been doing this for hundreds of years theater is thousands of years old so what have they learned that, that can grab people's hearts can grab people's minds and moves 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 us all forward and yet you know we're we're so crude we're so crude in our presentation skills right now as you know uh, uh, all we've done is put up uh, some pictures on the wall uh, and 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 you know having this this this, uh, this speech, speaking style which is not at all I think uh, uh, grabbing anyone so yeah in fact party, that, of course in, yeah in fact I'd say in a lot of ways we've digressed because these people who put up an outline and just start reading the slides they're much less effective than they would have been before PowerPoint existed and they just right got I mean when I speech when I was a kid or in high school you know you had speech. Uh, you know, you have a class where you learn public speaking or or it was considered a skill or an art where you had nothing but the podium in front of you and you had to think hard about how to present. But now we we use PowerPoint as a crutch. Uh, we don't practice. We, 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 you know, Apple does their keynotes in a very polished way, but they're still, you know, when, when, when they stand on stage, they're still doing it pretty much using the same technology that everybody else has. They're just a little bit more practiced. Uh, I still think there's more, much more we can do. I think there's a lot we can learn from from professional entertainers, and uh, and so I'm using myself again as an experiment. I'm I'm going to try to become good at this and um, and, and and redefine the whole way we do things. So maybe by example, I can sort of um, move us forward again there. Um, so the question and, is, when Horace? When do we get to see some of these um, magic tricks? I've got a. I've got a. Um, uh, you know, a self-imposed deadline of uh, late January for Macworld. There's a, there's a presentation I'm going to be doing there, actually Mac IT. Um, and then uh, I think I'm booked for uh, a couple more events in the spring. Um, but uh, to me, these I'm not trying to sell people to come there. Uh, for me, these are tests of my own. Oh, by the way, there's an event I forgot, oh, I should mention, I suppose, um, Apple Investor Event. Um where again, I'm going to have an opportunity to speak to to more or less Apple people know, knowledgeable about Mac products, and that's a good audience because they're, you know, I, no one's going to be scared if I'm going to pull out an iPad uh, or or try to do things a little bit differently. Um, but anyway, the idea is that I'm going to go through these in the first half of the year, and I hopefully will improve the product, and then maybe have a launch in the summer where we let other people actually download the tool and. Um, and 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 so let's see what happens. I'm not I, probably I'm going to get my butt kicked by the developer <laughs> for even talking about it because it's so early now. But, but that's my dream, and I think um, it it it's it's funny because I didn't even three months ago I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought of doing this, but uh, it just came naturally once I began to think about what I'm doing, and I began to think that 
presentation is the next frontier, the next thing that's not good enough, the next thing that that I can I can hopefully uh, improve with what I do. Uh, and I'm just audacious enough to try, I guess. Well, Katie and I are going to be at Macworld. We're doing some sessions ourselves, and I'm definitely going to be there. Not only because I think your content's amazing, I can't wait to see what you're trying to do. I want to see these magic tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're not going to be really bad, but in the beginning you tend to make mistakes. But I, 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 I see that as an opportunity, like I said, to learn. And, and I think even if we, if we have less than ideal presentation, I think the audience will still see it more interest, as a more interesting thing than, than an average presentation, hopefully. Well, I can tell you one challenge you're going to have is just the whole concept of having an iPad and an Apple TV and everything on the same Wi-Fi network and everything working together. Uh, yeah, the, I'm aware of that. And yeah, maybe I'll have a backup where actually I'll have a, you know, a, a VGA out instead, you know, because if it doesn't work, I, we, we're, we're conscious of this, you know, technology people tend to understand some of the problems and, and all the setup you need to do and all that. But uh, yeah, you know, step by step, I'm sure we'll have setbacks. There'll be places and times when we can't do that. But uh Maybe if we, we'll have a backup plan and we'll go, you know, with not per- perfectly wireless, we'll, we'll we'll just do a VGA out. But I I think the idea of an app is crucial to this whole picture because it it I want to just kick out the the slideware. I want to kick it out and replace it with something interactive. Um, and maybe again, like maybe we don't have all the pieces in place. This is just uh, this is just the starting point on our journey. But the um, the idea uh, again. I want to mention this 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 per- person who influenced me. His his name is Hans Rosling. He's the statistician in Sweden who came up with this presentation style. He's he he, he got a lot of attention because he went on TED talks and I think he's done like a, a half dozen of those. He's a huge sensation. Check it out on YouTube. His name Hans Rosling R O S L I N G. But he talks using numbers, using stats. He talks about uh, world. Uh, uh, world development and the the whole evolution of our of our uh, you know economies and health and welfare in the in the whole world over decades. I think that has a lot in common with the way I talk about the evolution of markets. So I took a, a lot of inspiration from him. If you see him speak, he uses the tool again as as a, as a as a as a assistant to a storytelling experience. And you only have to watch his stuff to see what I'm trying to do. I think I'll take it a slightly different way, but that proves that he's done the existence proof. He has proven that it's possible to be a presenter with uh, with technology uh, that isn't isn't boring and isn't um, uh, you know this this very static style. So anyway, that's that's just my. I'm I'm uh, I'm very interested. I'm in, you know, (laughs) you said earlier about numbers is the advantages. The charts look different in Excel and that is a useful tool because people are tired of looking at the same charts all day. I feel the same way about Keynote. Um, I I believe Keynote is a better tool than PowerPoint. Oh, it is miles ahead. I'm just saying that I would like to even move beyond, beyond it. And I think the trouble that Apple has is that I don't think that they're devoting enough energy to solving that problem. If you think about it, here they are with with iWork and all they've done is they've done office in a in a much prettier way. Not as powerful in many ways. Um but it it's prettier and it's more accessible to some. The problem is that they haven't totally said, okay, hang on. Actually, maybe office isn't the right way to go forward. Maybe and I, by the way, it's a weird thing to see these tools on an iPad because it's kind of they're they're you can see the the 
tectonic shift that's happening where they're saying, well, can, if we cram these tools into an iPad, can they actually become better tools in the sense that they're, they actually evolve by, 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 by being under pressure, right? You take, you, take the, you take these things and you stress them. And as a result, you get something better coming out. That's, I think, what they're trying there. But fundamentally, is the question is like, you know, you also, story, I keep interrupting myself here, but if you think about um, their other tools, like um, uh, their iLife tools, they've gone through and deeply rethought the jobs around photography, their jobs around video, the jobs around music, and they're really constantly pushing themselves to sort of throw away the old and build something new. However, I don't see that happening with iWork. I think iWork is just being put out there as a defensive move or something that blocks Windows, uh, I mean, Office. I don't know, but it, th- that's why I'm I'm frustrated, and I think that maybe by by showing, by example, Maybe we can rethink the whole presentation problem, and in so doing, actually prompt others to 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 also innovate in that direction. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm I, I know what you're saying. I'm just really passionate about the the need to in, innovate in in what what is essentially a 20 year old technology of word processing, spreadsheets, and and presentation software. I think these have not changed fundamentally for such a long time. I I am really interested in this conversation because I I feel the same. It's a it's common job. Everybody has this job to do. Okay, for our last sponsor uh, is Byword. And Byword is the text editor that I have come to love. Katie, you're using Byword now too, aren't you? Yeah, David, you know, you introduced me to Byword. And I have to say thank you for this because I have long been looking for just a simple text editor that lets me just write. You know, I want something that's pretty. I want something that's elegant. I want something that doesn't have a lot of frills. But yet I want to be able to do some of the cool tools that we use, like using Markdown. I want to be able to use rich text as well as plain text. I want to be able to export easily to HTML. I want to be able um, to go full screen and write without distractions. And Byword lets me do all of those things. So thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, they really tie it together nicely. I still like Scrivener for big projects, but for most of the day-to-day writing, I do it in Byword now. And because it's so text-friendly, which you know I love text, you can use it anywhere else. And like you said earlier, it exports to various formats. And the way it renders Markdown is really fantastic because it grays the text just a little bit. So when you proofread, you can still do that and not have the extra you know, Markdown language and links kind of get in the way. Um, but not only is it easier to proofread, it's easier to create because they automatically predict what you're going to need when you start using Markdown symbols. And uh, if you're not using Markdown, this is a great way to get into it because it makes the barrier to entry even even lower. So uh, I really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. I think these are great guys, and they continue to make a great app. Uh, check out Byword if you haven't already. It's in the Mac App Store for $10 and well worth the money. Yeah, and again, the beauty of it being in the Mac App Store is that you buy it once, it's licensed to use on all of your authorized computers. So if you've got laptops, if you've got desktops, if you've got family authorized to use the computers in your Mac App Store account, you buy it once for 10 bucks. This is the gift that keeps on giving, really. Thanks, Byword, for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah. If I can shift the conversation just a little bit, I, I know we've been talking for a while and, and maybe running short on time here. One of the things I'm I'm interested in learning about is Obviously, in order to produce all of this content that you do, you, you have to do a lot of research. You have to go out and collect a lot of information. And, and how do you do that? Are there any specific tools that you use to go out? There's, there's just a massive amount of information that you've got to be taking in and dissecting and analyzing. And how do you weed through it all and, and make sure 
that you get what you need. I'm almost embarrassed to say that I don't use any fancy tools at all. Um, I use uh, I use uh, uh, just the browser with with bookmarks, and I use I use uh, uh, the Apple's own uh, uh, RSS feeds. Um, and uh, over time, because things in the Apple world are, are quickly amplified, so even if you don't listen to all the proper blogs, quote unquote proper blogs somehow they'll trickle down to the ones you do listen to. Um, and that's just because the information is is constantly just in an echo chamber. Um, so I don't have any special data mining, uh, massive, you know, data crunching. I look only at basic basic uh, sites that, uh, you know, the, I assure, you know, the usual suspects in terms of blogs. But I also... Um, what I what I do benefit from greatly is is Twitter because Twitter then um, having a good set of people to follow gives you the information quicker and you can follow up with it and very quickly d- get uh, uh, discover new sources if you will so you, just, you know I'll get links in Twitter that I would never have on my own um, and I think that's really one of the best innovations as far as information discovery out there. There's some people trying new technologies, and I know someone who's doing this, who's basically is they, they observe your, your behavior. And just like Amazon offers you new material in terms of here's a new, new uh, product you might be interested in, uh, they're offering new, uh, new sites for you to visit. And that idea of sort of uh, um, assessing your affinity uh, is something of a technological uh, I think a technological breakthrough in a way, uh, just like um, you know the challenge of discovering music, the challenge of discovering uh, video content. Uh, in this case, YouTube has been has been pioneering some interesting technologies. Sort of, how do you offer recommendations for new content? Um, I think that's going to be one of the ways I will benefit. Right now, my discovery engine happens to be Twitter. It happens to be the hundreds of people I follow who, I, you know, do that for me. Uh, not not so much as as a, as a sort of a, an intelligent uh, computing uh, product. Um, but but we'll see the evolution in that space. I I again I'm I'm embarrassed to say that I don't have uh, a power you know, sort of a massive uh, uh, network of, of sources here, except Twitter. And um, um, I, you know, it just, uh, the, the other thing, I think the secret weapon that I have perhaps, and, and this came out recently, is that I really don't consume other media except this uh, these sites that I do visit or or that I read every day. I don't watch TV. I don't listen to the radio. I don't... Um, uh, I, I don't have recreational media except maybe music. So for me, uh, it's more that the, the 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 secret is actually that whereas many people may spend two three hours a day watching TV, I'd use that time to sort of just read more, and um, and that's a, that's that's a competitive advantage if you want to call it that because it just means that you have more time. You know, you have twenty percent more time. Um, and uh, but you miss things. I mean, actually, I'm not proud of the fact that I'm not watching TV because you lose you lose a lot of the sort of the language of the times. You lose a lot of the um, the, the the buzz and what's happening and sort of the, the consciousness of the of the world is is flying by you. But uh, sometimes you you know you have to pay a price. And uh, uh, this has been something of an issue, I think, also before the internet that I wasn't really hip to what was going on very much. But uh, you know, because I was doing a lot of uh, studying or something else. Well, I think you just have to listen to more podcasts. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, the, the thing is, because I work at home, I don't commute. That's another thing. So you save the time of commuting. You save the time of, of um, although I take my son to school, that is a, that is a bit of a, of a time a time sink. But still, that's when normally you you would have this background. Um, also, er- exercising and uh, and commuting, I think, are two great sources if you do those things where you can actually absorb more information wisely and uh rather than uh of course maybe i'm not preaching at all you know this isn't something for everybody uh you know obviously people need to relax and that, that's fine i'm just i'm just saying how i live and uh in my in my world view listening to stuff like this or or reading an interesting uh article is relaxation is uh in, and i'm not comfortable in the other worlds where i'm sort of trying to escape uh, I don't like to escape reality. It's it, to me, it's actually frightening, and I, as a concept, so you know, I don't want to escape at all. Okay, hey, you know, Horace, I know we uh, promised you an hour, so I don't want to take too much more of your time. There's one subject though that's come up on the internet recently that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, Doctor Drang did a post on stack charts, and I had never really seen stack charts used too much, but you use them quite a bit, and uh, I kind of like the look of them. But he makes a good point about how sometimes they can be misleading. What do you Absolutely. think about that? No, I, I'm very conscious of that, and uh, and the, there's there's a couple of reasons I do use them, and the, and there are times when they shouldn't be used. Uh, the reason I use them is when I'm trying to show the overall market. So, for example, the fact what I'm trying to tell with the stack chart is like, look, um, visually. The, let's say the the smartphone business has grown from being this small to this big, right? There's this huge change. And in the meantime, I color the, spa- the space with these competitors. You can see them individually. Now, most people would say, yes, but you're it's very deceptive because I cannot tell, you know, Apple versus Samsung clearly from this. Obviously, one's bigger than the other, but this is, doesn't give me that information. But that's not the information I'm trying to give you. If I were to give you a direct comparison I would put them as line charts and I would show Samsung versus Apple. Here's the problem that when you're dealing with eight, eight such competitors or nine or 10, you try to put them all together, it becomes a spaghetti of lines. So you can't tell them apart all that well. And I'm always looking at things over a long time frame because I think this, the, the, the time dimension is something that doesn't get told enough. Uh, just because there's such a change in the market that happens even over three, four years. So I'm always trying to do things over a long time period. And the the other problem that you have with line charts is that you have some competitors which are very small numbers and then some which are very big numbers. And so the small guys end up all clustering down at the bottom and you have not only spaghetti, but you have, you know, you know, capellini, you have thin spaghetti trying to like all crowd into, you know, a quarter inch. And then you've got a bunch of big lines at the top. And so that's what a line chart gets you, or, or if you did it as a bar chart, you'd get the same kind of clutter. So I'm very conscious of that. If I'm going to do a comparison between two competitors, I would just do two. And then people, of course, naturally will say, well, what about the other five? I say, well, if I put the other five, then you couldn't tell them apart. So I'll do the other five, but I'll do them pairwise. I'll do two by two. And then the problem is that, well, now you've got 15 charts in your post. I can't scroll through all that and keep track of it. So there's never a a good answer. And this is one reason why I went to motion charts, because then the user can pick and choose whether they want to have, you know, uh, track five things at once or two things at once. They can move the, the slider back and forth and play with it. But you know what? Here's the other tragedy. The fact is people don't don't use that because it, it, it it's work. Doing that is work and they want to just see one thing and they don't want to have to play and think about, you know, what do they want to compare? It's It's almost a 
process of analysis to choose the the type of data you want to look at. So there's never a good answer. I'm conscious of the limits of of, of stack charts, but I'm not telling the same story perhaps that the uh, the, the critics might be looking at. And uh, certainly, um, I'm happy to do both ways. And many times, actually, people ask me in the in the comments. Like I said before, they'll say, could you do it differently? And I say, sure thing. And I go in and I make make a, a new chart and I put it up and, you know, and make a little update note or something and saying, you know, I've also done this chart for, for, for uh, you know, so sometimes my, my posts grow in length because people keep asking for more. Um, but I try to also innovate things. I do, one thing I do a lot of also is scatter plots which are very rare, I think, which unfortunately they should be much more common. Uh, so you compare X versus Y. Uh, then the problem there becomes like people sometimes you do you try to show a trend line or you try to show a, a correlation happening and people immediately jump up and say hang on you don't have enough sample points to be making any R square claims and you're right absolutely right but I'm trying to again tell a story with limited data we never have enough data um, you know and even the data we have is is often uh, you know fuzzy and and there's errors in it so that's the great thing about blogging is a lot of people will be critics and that from that you know, it forces you to be more more rigorous well, and um, and that's that's what I do and one of the things I really like is you know you have limited data because these companies don't want to share all their information and you go to great lengths sometimes to try and and you know, ferret out what that information is. And you right. explain and, the whole process. And I explain, I try to do it in an open manner. Um, and I'm critical also myself. So sometimes if companies start withholding information, like uh, recently Samsung has stopped reporting. They're the second largest, probably next year, they'll be the largest phone maker, not just smartphone maker. They'll probably be the largest by revenue in the world. Think about that. And they don't tell the world how many phones they ship. Never mind smartphones. So I'm extremely critical of that. And then, of course, if you do put up, a, put up a, a, an estimate, people will beat you up and say, I don't believe your estimate. Fine, you know, suggest an alternative. Um, I try to survey other people, ask, you know, go around the web and see what are other people saying about this number. And I sometimes am critical of their numbers, of course. Everybody's a critic. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the whole problem is that you have, uh, you, you know, as I said, if you grow up in science, you know that you actually have too much data. Typically, you're collecting enormous amounts of physical data, uh, and the whole problem is actually sifting through it. In the business world, you have no data. Often, you have you know two data points to make a line, and uh, that's that's the that's the sad reality. You know, we can't do scientific processes on 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 businesses because we don't have information sharing by default. Information is hoarded protected, hidden away, not just from the world, but from your own, you know, employees, from your peers, from everybody. Everybody is siloed and, and, and information is, is the thing that, that uh, cannot be shared. And uh, all I do is I try to pull up as much as I can from whatever is public uh, and, and see the patterns in that. And of course, there'll be errors. Of course, there'll be omissions. Of course, there'll be, you know, people asking for, can you do it, uh, you know, with more precision or with, with a different, uh, different level of granularity? I can't, uh, you know, I can't do any more than whatever is public. So. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I really appreciate the information and the work you do at SMCO. I feel like, uh, I feel, you know, really it's a benefit to all of us that are following these things and mm -hmm. I'm learning every day. I don't read a lot of blogs, but this is one that I don't miss a post on. And Thanks a lot. Yeah. It, I, I could go on and on, but I think, you know, we have a limit in our time here. But, 
Yeah, it, it's it's been a wonderful experience, and your your enthusiasm, your feedback is what keeps me going. And I I, I realize I'm on a good I'm on a good path. Um, and you know, I just feel intuitively that this is the right thing to do going forward. So, um, it's how started as a hobby, but it has become a passion and now it's becoming, uh, almost a business, but I, I'm trying to keep it as much pure, uh, you know, learning as much as possible. And, 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 the, the, uh, you know, try not to get bogged down too much on the business side of things, but, uh, but it is, it's been a wonderful experience. It just seemed like for years, you know, you always read articles, analysts are saying Apple's going to do this or do that. And it seemed to me like it was, there was really no rigor applied to it all. These guys were just pulling numbers out of their hat. And well, yeah, this is the first it, it, site that really applies some kind of scientific rigor to figure out, well, where it is you, you never know. Where is it going? <laughs> the main problem is that these folks who do publish data or publish opinion, they tell you these things, but you have to trust that they're competent. And I've always, you know, I remember in school, the teacher said, show your work. If you don't show your work, how do I know, except the title you may have in your job or perhaps the the resume you have, that you are competent? So that's the trouble I find, that that, that somehow even the anal- best analysts out there, the most respected analysts, if they don't show their work, I don't think that they deserve the respect. It needs to be a completely transparent process. Uh, methodologies need to be uh, – uh, we should be arguing not about the, the numbers. We should be arguing about your samples. We should be arguing about how did you get the data, what was your assumptions – that's really the the scientific method. And if we don't even share that basic stuff, we can't move forward. Um, and frankly, I know that the folks who are doing it are not doing it because of any malice, but because they're constrained by their employer, that they cannot reveal their process. The process is their secret sauce. So in other words, what you're, what you're having is an employer or, or someone who pays you that that limits your ability to actually improve yourself because it's only through that sharing process that you get the feedback to get your product to be better. So in, in, ultimately, it's the employer themselves that are, that are, that are causing their, their organization to suffer because they will be disrupted. They will be disrupted by thousands of people like me who go out there and, and share their work and work together and collaborate and solve problems. I was inspired, like I said, by folks outside like, uh, you know, uh, Andy Zaki, uh, Turley Mueller, these guys who were bloggers who had been writing about Apple on the financial sites and other places and sort of trying to move the ball forward about the estimates that we we're, were hearing. And, you know, four or five of them began before I did. Um, I came in not so much focused on the financials, but, you know, I began to look at all the other puzzles, pieces of the puzzle as far as Apple and as far as, uh, you know, the, the sector was concerned. Um, and, you know, I, I just think this is a drop in the ocean. What could happen is a lot, an explosion of, of, of a crowdsourced analysis. Um, we're seeing it in all areas of creative work, all areas of analysis, even in the legal profession, I think. Um, in the journalist profession, we've seen that happening with blogs. Um, and, and more and more of these professional services, I think, will become, uh, will become crowdsourced. And it's just a matter of time. Well, Horace, why don't you tell everybody one more time where they can find all of your, all of your things, uh, your blog, your website, your podcast, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm uh, on 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 asymco.com. It's a s y m c o. Um, it stands for asymmetric uh, competition or uh, something to that effect. Um, I'm on on Twitter as asymco as well. And uh, just Google that, and you'll get 
you know, pretty much everything you need to know. Um, and uh, the podcast I do is called The Critical Path. It's on the 5x5 network, and it's um, nominally weekly uh, on, on Wednesdays. Great work. And Horace, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I really enjoyed listening to you, and I can't wait to see what you do with presentations. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. Do you know, uh, do you know when your presentation will be at Macworld, what day it is? I forgot exactly. It's uh, just look it up in the program. Yeah, I I'll, guess. I'll put it in the show notes. So if anybody's going to MacWorld, make a point to check out Horace's presentation. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Horace Digio for coming in and being on the show. I thought it was a great uh, workflow episode, didn't you, Katie? I, I love talking to Horace. He's such a nice guy. I'm very honored to be on 5x5 Five Five with him. And uh, I always love listening to his podcast because I feel very educated. Well, I, I tell people, because I talk to investment guys in my day job, and they're always, when they realize that I'm a nerd in addition, they start asking me about mobile stuff. And then I start telling them just a few snippets I learned at a Simco, and then they think I'm brilliant. And depending mm-hmm. on the person, I either tell them to go to Osemco or I just let them think I'm brilliant. It depends. I'd let them think you're brilliant. That depends. Some people who I like, I'll, <laughs> I'll give them the secret sauce there and just tell them to go over to Osemco. Anyway, um, yeah. so how do you get a hold of us? Well, you can uh, find links to everything that we talked about in our show notes. You can find that at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can, excuse me. You can also find uh, feedback to us by email. Send it to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we are also on Twitter. Uh, at MacPowerUsers is the show's account, or I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MaxBarky. Yeah, and we also blog. Katie is katiefloyd.me, and I'm MaxBarky.com. I just did a big site redesign. Did you see it? I did see your site redesign. It's very minimalistic. Yeah, that's me. I want to keep it simple. Anyway. Keep it simple. So um, thank you, everyone, for the iTunes comments. I know that we've gotten quite a few recently, and we're, we're getting built back up to where we were because, you know, we lost all of those comments in the 5x5 five five transition. So it, it always makes my day to go in there and, and see those. And, uh, you know, it is holiday time, so if you are looking for the, uh, the perfect gift to give your geek, there, there, you can pick up some Mac Power Users gear uh, at our MPU store. So uh, check out the link to that over on our website at MacPowerUsers.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, Smile Software. One password, byword, Chromata, and Omni Group. And uh, David, what's next? Uh, we're gonna go really nerdy with iTunes Match. Okay. You know the so Apple came out with really I think a pretty good product that allows you to wirelessly manage your music from your iTunes library. And unlike Apple, they didn't do a very good job of explaining how it all works. And I've been neck deep in it even since into the beta. So I think I figured out most of it. And I think it's time for us just to go through and have one of those shows where we talk about soup to nuts, how to make up the most out of that new iTunes match. All right. We'll look for that to release next week. And uh, David, it's always, it's been fun. And I will talk to you next time. All right. Take care.